It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to the cube. LeBron left to the circle, left to the lane. You wanted a different approach. The shoot around. Hello, everyone. We're back to talk Cavs basketball. Looking forward to breaking down the good and the bad from this past week, plus anything that surprises. This was an interesting week. With Kevin Love coming back again and Matthew Dellavedova finally playing, there is a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. The Cavaliers went into San Antonio on April 5th and came away with a tremendous win. Darius Garland had a career night, filling up the stat sheet with 37 points and 7 assists. He was a man possessed, willing long-distance threes with ease into the bucket. Sexton added another 22 points and Okoro had 11, who was a perfect 3-for-3 from the arc. For the Spurs, they looked like an out-of-sync team that had won two of their last 10 games. Mr. Midrange, DeMar DeRozan, put up 20 for them, but the rest of the team looked scared to shoot the ball. The Cavs, however, were the opposite, scoring 43 points in the third quarter and shooting 35% from three. It's these nights that you wonder how they could ever shoot so poorly at times. Oh, and they only had six turnovers. It was a much-needed win, a beautiful win. On April 3rd, the Cavs went to sunny South Beach where they had lost their last 19 games and once again got swallowed up by the Heat's efficient three-point shooting and timely defense, losing 101 to 115. The Heat had seven players score in double digits, with Bam Adebayo and Duncan Robinson scoring 18 apiece. The Cavs had major contributions from Sexton who had 26 points and Isaac Okoro who had a career-high 17 points, shooting at 71%. Torian Prince also had an awesome night with 19 points off the bench. The Cavs defense made it close in the second half when they held the Heat to just 17 points and were within striking distance cutting the lead to 5. Ultimately, the Heat were able to hold off the Cavs and seal the victory. The Philadelphia 76ers came to Cleveland on April 1st and ruined the surprise return of Kevin Love to the starting lineup. Matthew Dellavedova also returned, and the Cavs ended up losing 114-94. to On the bright side, Colin Sexton led the Cavs with 24 points, Dean Wade added 16, and Kevin Love scored 13. 76ers backup shooting guard Shake Milton had a career night and led all scorers with 27 points, while Seth Curry added another 19. The true story of this game was the Sixers' defense, which fooled the Cavs into coughing up the ball 18 times. You heard that right. They again had a weak third quarter, scoring 17 points, plus shooting just 28% from three. This is getting pretty old pretty fast. On March 29th, the Cavaliers went into Utah and couldn't find the right tune, losing 114-75. to Donovan Mitchell scored 19 points to lead the Jazz, and Mike Connolly and Rudy Gobert both added 18 points apiece. Sexton and Garland had 20 and 18, but no one else on this professional basketball team scored more than 17 points. This game was so out of hand that every Jazz player got a chance to get on the floor. 
We knew the writing was on the wall when the Cavs had to start newly acquired backup center Isaiah Hartenstein, but you expect your team to score at least 80. This was a game where the Cavs' continued lack of consistent shooting from behind the arc and their youth led to an easy victory for Utah. All right, so those are the recaps. Is there a game that you wanted to focus on, Adam? I was kind of thinking San Antonio and maybe Miami. That sounds great. I call San Antonio. <laughs> awesome. Ah, oh, you bet. What did you like about the San Antonio game since you get the win? So this is the fun stuff. These are the games that we look forward to, that we hope the Cavs will consistently do more often. They showed up, showed out, proved their worth, actually shot the ball well. It was great to see. Darius Garland had 37 points, 7 assists, 1 rebound. Don't fault him on the 1 rebound, he's tiny. <laughs> he's a short man. <laughs> short man in the NBA standards, anyway. He played 30 minutes, and it was one of those games that I've talked to you about this privately. I'll mention it here on the podcast. Darius, don't take it personally. I've been suspect sometimes of your game. I've wondered if it will translate to the NBA. It's no offense to you. It's just that I see kind of a raw player there that I was uncertain could mature, especially with a Cavs uniform on. And that's a little bit of the history that I have with the team, wondering if they can bring a guy along like you as an organization. We often see players like you go off and have success somewhere else. So I'm excited that you came out and you played that way. Obviously, you must have a love for Popovich or there must be somebody there in the Spurs that you want to really impress because this is the second time now that you've gone out and had a career night against the same team. I know you're a fan of the history of the game. I often in your interviews hear you talk about what certain players have meant to you and the players that still are playing that you grew up watching what they still mean to you. And it seems like even coaching, I think that you have the same regard for that. So I wouldn't be surprised if you were trying to show off a little bit for Popovich and the Spurs organization and possibly some of the players. It's the games that Garland has kind of underplayed to his own potential. Those are the games that I feared would be more consistent than a game like what he had against the Spurs. However, what I think I've learned about Darius in the last several weeks of continuing to watch his game and listening to the interviews afterwards and following him online and those things, he's a very passionate player. What I always loved about LeBron was the way that he appreciates the game and has a, an academic kind of understanding about it. I think you have to in order to love a sport or a game that ultimately is much more about monetization and fame. But if you can care about the game the way it seems that Darius cares about the game, he's he's already won me over there. And now on nights like this, he's winning me over even further to his you know full-on potential. What a game that he had. And I just have to say, it's wonderful that they shot above 50%. They need those games to remember, to remind themselves that they actually are scorers in the NBA, that they not just have to go out there and defend to win games. And they shot 35% from three. That's not wonderful, but that's not the worst that they normally do. But if you went back three or four podcasts, I believe I stated that they needed to be shooting between 30, 35 threes a game to stay competitive in the league. That's just the NBA today. So I'm very happy that they've picked that number up and they're attempting more threes. They're more aggressive. Sexton talked about doing that more and you're seeing that in his game. You're seeing Garland, you know, take more threes. And you know, obviously with this Spurs game, he was extremely confident. He was just firing up uh, heat check shots. 
Wonderful game. We need these games. It was impressive to see, especially because Love's back. We're still kind of trying to figure out how to work him into the offense. Delavadova's back. I thought that was interesting that they've been kind of pushing him into that second point guard position, bringing him off the bench and having him run the offense. He's been getting more assists than he typically averages. And we'll talk more about that. But I still question his placement into the offense more so than Love's. Regardless, with Allen being out and Nance being out and certain uh, new elements being added last minute, it was impressive that they came out and played the way that they did. This win was led by Garland and then the whole team kind of followed. I think that in addition to Garland just having a phenomenal game, I will say for a short guy, he did have one block on a seven footer. Sexton had a great game where he was efficient. He didn't make any threes, but he still put up 22 points, which I don't know if I would have ever seen that from him When Sexton came into the league, I don't think I would have ever thought, oh, here's a guy who, if he does have an off night occasionally from certain spots on the field, that he would still put up more than 20 points. I would have kind of figured like, oh, he might get us 10 or 11. And the fact that he still was able to push the pace, get to the line, he had five assists as well. His assist number at five, that's just awesome. At the end of last year, there was a lot of criticism on Sexton to improve his assists, and he has done that. I really am enjoying the fact that his game is becoming more well-rounded. They ran at least, I want to say they ran an off-ball screen for him five or six times in that game where he was able to cut to the basket and get an easy bucket. That's the entire team buying into Sexton's capabilities and his speed and just reading what the Spurs are doing and catching them sleeping, right? He's getting the easy layups and the easy baskets when he's really excelling off ball. The surprise of the night, I would say, is Hartenstein. I still miss McGee, kind of, but if Hartenstein's going to keep playing like this, hey, McGee, you really helped us out. Hartenstein's doing really well, too, right? Thanks, McGee. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that he fought really well. There were a lot of times where I thought that he could have gotten lost in the shuffle This is his fourth game playing for this team. And I was kind of curious how he would react to the pressure of playing more minutes with Allen being out. And it seemed like he was really finally hitting his stride in this game. In addition to that, the guy can pass. I I was really impressed by some of his capabilities with hitting again, Sexton again, hitting him on a great cut. He was doing a lot of great skip passes and bounce passes in this game that I was shocked by. Not in the sense of like, oh my God, I haven't seen a bounce pass or a skip pass. It was more of here's a 22 year old seven foot center who I just thought was a big bodied backup center. The fact that he has a little bit of finesse in his game will really help this team in the long run, especially when we have seen the bench unit does have some issues kind of moving the ball. You brought up Della Vadova. We're going to definitely talk about him later a lot more. But Delhi is really just kind of an assist and, you know, tough guy. He doesn't excel at shooting and he's an OK ball handler. Well, now you have Hartenstein who can also pass as another bench role player. It will really help solidify JB's ability to rely on this bench squad. The bench scored 42 points against San Antonio. Huge. Yeah, just massive. They scored 125, which is 22 points more than their average. 
this was just a phenomenal win. You and I have always joked about it. When the Cavs win, it makes the night and kind of the week a lot more fun. Adam and I started this podcast because we're best friends and we love the Cavs. When they win, it just helps make the recording process and everything a lot more fun. So unfortunately, it seems that this week you have drawn the shortest straw and you must cover a loss. And I apologize for that because there was only one win that we could cover. And I know you've chosen Miami, so tell me about it. What did you think about that game? What what were your observations? I thought this was a game where the Cavs responded. They went down early. They kind of did some of their stereotypical stuff where they allowed 36 points in the first quarter. But then the Cavs were able to hold Miami to 17 points in the third and actually outscored them by a bucket by two points in the third, which it's only a bucket, but that's what we're trying to see from this team. We're trying to see how they're responding and if they're going to actually react accordingly and change their ways. They have Kevin Love back, which I think he was a little bit helpful in this game. He didn't have 10 points. He also had 10 rebounds. So he did have a double-double, which was kind of nice to see. And I think that there were moments as well where Love's mental acuity really helped the Cavs here. There were a couple times when the Cavs were able to go on an earlier break or they were able to kind of move the ball up the court faster because of Love's passing. That's helpful because when you have one of the fastest guards in the league in Sexton who led the Cavs with 26 points, that is exciting for him. That's another new wrinkle. And that was something that we had last season because Love played more compared to this season. The other highlight of the the game has to be for us, Isaac Okoro. Okoro had a career night in points. He shot two for two from behind the arc. He just looked like the guy you and I knew he was going to be as soon as he was drafted. And as soon as we watched tape on him, I had done a little bit more research on him of reading about him from draft profiles and stuff. And it was really weird. I remember when the mock drafts kind of started up, people were like, oh, Okoro, he's an elite defender. He's this, he's he's that. He's going to really help these teams. And then he got a case of getting drafted by the Cavs. And everybody was like, ooh, I don't know about that pick. He can't shoot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, all you did was talk up his defense. What, yeah. what does it matter exactly. if he can't shoot? He is really good at the rim. For a dude who runs as fast and as hard as he does, He is really good at the rim. He is able to use his agility and power in a way at the rim to he's getting some of those buckets to land now, right? At the beginning of the season, he was having some trouble with that. He's having more confidence getting dunks. He just looked phenomenal in that game. He didn't look like a rookie anymore. I think that was the first game where I was like, okay, defensively, we knew he wasn't a rookie. You know, he's a three-year vet on defense right now just because of what he's able to do. But this was the first game where it was like, oh, oh no, he's not a rookie anymore. He has moved into that echelon of second year player because offensively he made all the right decisions and was just confident in how he was hitting his shots. He even did a a step back three in that game. So showing what he can do. I thought that was the highlight of the game individually. And then as a team, they showed more grit and grind, which is what JB wants. Hopefully they're able to get more wins because of that. 
Miami's an excellent team. They went to the NBA Finals last season. So obviously, they're going to have a lot of great veteran presence, and Eric Spolstra is a great coach. The Cavs still took it to them and almost stole a win here. So now that I've completed my task, Adam, what else did you see from this exciting loss? I think you're right. The resilience of the team definitely came out at the end of the game in the fourth quarter. They stayed competitive. They tried to come back. They had 28 points in the quarter, but unfortunately, it was just another difficult defensive night. They gave up 31. A 19 to 17 third quarter where we actually outscored them by two, but then in the next quarter, you let them score 31 on you. So it was tough. If, if we could have clamped down defensively, we maybe could have won the game. When we average 15 or more turnovers, we're really just about losing the game ourselves. There's no reason to worry about what the team's going to do to you because you're doing it to yourself. We took 31 threes. We made 10 of them. Got to make three or four more. It's been extremely painful to watch them fulfill that easy narrative that the NBA has given all of season, which is that they're one of the worst, if not the worst shooting teams in the league. And they've become that over the last stretch of weeks with their poor shooting and their inability to kind of get out of the gutter, pick their heads back up when they get down on themselves the rest of the game. They're just incapable of having anything work out. Statistically, I love seeing that we shot 84% from the free throw line, 21 of 25. That kept us in the game. It could have been a blowout if we did what we normally do on some nights, which is maybe make 60%. Certainly with Allen being out, that's probably picked the stat up a little bit. I love the guy, but he's got to work at his free throw shooting. 25 assists, you want to see that. That's a great number. However, Miami had 35 assists. That's rough. you got to believe that some of that is just people being out of place and not good on-ball defense. Yes, some nights these things fall easily, but that, to me, is an indication that defensively they were not as aggressive as they needed to be for the night. And we've seen that. Some nights they seem to come out with low energy, and it never picks up. It never gets better from the tip-off. We didn't talk about Okuro in the Spurs game. We mentioned it in the read, but we didn't talk about it when we broke it down. And that's because I wanted to mention it here. I'm glad you pointed it out. He's a guy that I think has gotten a really bad deal because of the team that he was drafted to. And you couldn't be more right on that assessment that if he had gone to the Spurs or if he had gone to the Nets or if he had gone to L.A. or anywhere, really. I mean, I don't even point out a, a, a terrific team. He would have been considered what he was before we picked him up. A terrific defensive player coming out of college with a lot of upside. A guy that if he could get a more consistent shot, it's not that he has a bad shot, he just needs to be more consistent with his shot. He could be the next Kawhi Leonard, that type of player. When I listen to him in interviews, the guy wants to win. And not only when he plays poorly, but when the team plays poorly, he wears it on his shoulders for however many days until the next game. He wants to win, and he wants to have a legacy in the game. Those two things are going to make him successful because he already has the athleticism and the skill set to be terrific. I'm really excited that we were able to pick him up. I will be forever disappointed that the KPJ thing didn't work out, but I'm thrilled that Akuro is here. And if KPJ was here, I don't know if Akuro would have been able to get the minutes that he's had. We wouldn't really know what the Cavs were able to pick up, and maybe they would have gotten rid of him in a trade offer by now or something. So I'm excited about the future. If he can come in and continue to progress the way that he has, it's not just Allen and Sexton and Garland. It's going to be him too, and that's the big four. And you need that in today's modern NBA to actually win. 
let's go to the tape. This week brought us the return of Matthew Della Vadova and Kevin Love. Yes, just like your favorite comic book hero, but in a Cavs uniform, these two men rose from the ashes and were on the court for the first time together this season against the 76ers. This was Love's third stint back this season from injury, so he looked pretty comfortable for once, putting up 13 points in the first quarter, while Delhi had 5 assists and 0 points in 16 minutes of play. How was it to see these guys back on the floor? I was surprised that they both came out and played. I had not heard that they were healthy and that they were going to play the game. The previous podcast, we were going to put out an APB for Kevin Love. We were wondering if he was missing. It's nice that things turned out, especially for Della Vadova. We were just talking about him needing to possibly retire due to his concussions. And then he had his appendix out and he's had a string of bad health luck. It's amazing that he could get back out on the court. I'm very proud of him for that. And now he's played a few games since coming back, and he seems to be able to keep up with the pace. With Love, I was surprised simply because it was odd to see him go down, and then they quietly just went, yeah, he's hurt. And then nobody in the media, because nobody cares about the Cavs, nobody was asking where he was, and nobody really wanted him for a trade. So it was very quiet for a few weeks there. I have a lot of reservations about what their place is, the both of them on this team, and what's right moving forward. Some of these nights where we've been forced into playing seven guys, eight guys, that's all that's left because of all these injuries. In some ways, I think that's been a benefit to the Cavaliers. We've seen that we actually have a fairly deep team. If we can get healthy, there are people sitting on our bench that we know we can rely on for what they're actually hired to do, which is come in and play you know, six, eight, ten minutes a game and contribute whenever they can. And I'm talking about people like, you know, like Stevens. I don't know if Lamar Stevens would have seen any significant playing time if it wasn't for what's happened to the Cavs this year injury wise. And now that we're coming to the end of the season and we've had that taste of being able to see the other side of the bench. I want to continue to see some of these guys get minutes and, and prove what they can do going into next year, because this is not a season to hope for anything beyond maybe making, you know, squeaking into the playoffs and just letting your organization and your young players have that opportunity. Right now, I don't, I don't know. I'm conflicted about bringing these guys in and altering the dynamic of the team so that they can force an idea of what they wanted rather than going with the team that they have. Kevin Love, I don't know if the guy can stay healthy. So any minutes you can get him, and if you can limit his minutes, if you can say 20, 23 minutes a night and, and really selectively choose when to bring him out there, good. Right now you're overpaying for the guy, so get him out there as much as you can. I personally would just like to see some of the younger guys continue to get out there so we can see what they're capable of doing before next season. Della Vadova, I don't know what his future is beyond this season, and Statistically, just looking at kind of what he's been able to add to the Cavaliers since coming back, he's played 12, 36, 57, and now three games in the past four seasons. So that's a total of 108 games in four years. For his career, he's averaged 5.1 points on 38% shooting, attempting almost two threes a game and averaging about 37% from the arc. He also has averaged 2.5 assists for his nine-year career to date. He's not a traditional, in my opinion, a backup point guard of what you would want. He's maybe a third or a fourth string point guard with what his stats show. And I understand he's a high energy guy. He brings a lot to the team in that regard. And he's almost like a player's coach on the bench. But we've talked before, what does that get you when you're giving him minutes on the court and somebody on your bench is not getting those minutes? 
it's no offense to you, Deli. I've enjoyed watching you, and I'll continue to enjoy watching you. But right now, this conversation is about what's best for the team moving forward, and what are we trying to do to solidify the future of this team in a positive direction so that we can start winning more consistently and we can bring a championship to Cleveland again. That is the point of playing these games. Eventually, like you're, the goal is to get better every year to the point where you're competitive and you can go to the finals and win. Whatever they're planning on doing with the roster moving forward for the rest of the season, they have that in mind. What's the best for the maturation of the players that they have? You said something that helped me in how I feel about the situation, which is conflicted. I'm happy to see Love come back. I'm hopeful that his calf injury will be not an issue the rest of the season. I still think he should be on a minutes restriction only to make sure that his calf doesn't rupture or anything worse. With Delhi, it's a similar thing in the sense of what you were bringing up with his stats overall. He is averaging five assists since he came back. So that's kind of a nice little wrinkle to see there that his assist numbers have increased. The conflicted part comes more with how they were used in the first few games that they were brought back from JB, specifically the Miami and the um, the Philly game. At one point, JB had a three guard set with Sexton, Garland and Delhi, and Garland played 38 minutes in Miami. I thought that the point of Delhi is to help spell Garland and have him be your backup point guard. So I was a little confused by some of those choices, mainly because he was trying to figure out comfort level of who's on the floor, except if you're going with a three guard set, it just doesn't allow Delhi to run the offense. You're having him do what exactly? Obviously, Garland's your primary point guard in that situation. He just kind of has to be. And he was off ball a little bit, but it was just kind of a confusing wrinkle. The whole idea of having both of them play, it could be a plus in respect to you having some veteran presence, all those tropes or whatever. I think Love makes a lot of sense from an offensive standpoint because of his passing capability. He had some passes to Garland in the Spurs game that were phenomenal. I'm hopeful that Love isn't at that point in his career where he still thinks that he is the guy. He just needs to be a former all-star who can get a double-double a night and be efficient at doing it. And that's what his role has to be. We know that Love and Delhi kind of had to play here in this instance just because of injury issues. When Allen and Nance come back, there need to be some decisions made and there needs to be some type of, not promise, but some type of understanding because Nance has also played well enough to start. So I would just be very curious about all of that. So I'm kind of like in a holding pattern as a fan of the Cavs. It's like, cool, you're both able to play some. Let's not make it too big of a thing and let's see what happens and kind of go from there. Kevin Love is a terrific basketball player, and it's been wonderful to see him have half of his career now here in Cleveland. Unfortunately, he's not been consistent. He's not been reliable to get out onto the court. And now that he is out onto the court, I'm not certain that he's going to be able to play to the standard of which his contract implies. So we'll see. This is his 13th season in the league. He's 32 years old, and he certainly has at least a few more years left in the tank. My thing is, 
he should find another team or another opportunity elsewhere as soon as possible. This team has outgrown the need for Kevin Love. The final seconds. The Cavaliers will play a few games before our next episode, facing the Thunder on the road and the Raptors and Pelicans at home. They have lost to the Thunder and Pelicans recently, but did beat the Raptors, and now they're actually favored to win the Thunder game. How do you see the Cavs playing in these games? I'm hopeful that they will win at least two of these games. I think they can beat the Raptors again, and I think that they were in that weird corky phase of not thinking the Thunder were a real team, and then they lost to them earlier in the season. So I'm hopeful that they'll kind of get out of that funk. I would be curious to see how they play against the Pelicans. If Allen is back, we could potentially go with two young seven-footers in Hartenstein and Allen to deal with the Pelicans' physicality. And Okoro has proven that when he sees a matchup again, he plays better against them. So I would be curious to see how he does if, if he plays against Brandon Ingram or not. Long story short, win at least two games so we can talk about him. After the loss to Miami, Jimmy Butler made a point in saying that he has respect for Isaac Okoro and that his potential is out of this world. What did you make of Butler's comments on Okoro? I loved his comments. It's what you and I have been talking about from day one about Okoro and what we think he's capable of achieving. You mentioned it here in this podcast. We're seeing it game after game. The kid goes out there and consistently defends against some of the most elite players in the league. And I loved how he said, this is a quote from Butler on this. He plays within the game. He takes all of the right shots. He gets stops and rebounds. He is always passing the ball to the open guy. I really like his game. Everything Butler just said about Okoro, he's fundamentally sound. The guy's got basketball instincts that you can't necessarily teach. He recognizes that the ceiling of this guy is extremely high. He also finished with saying, obviously he is matched up against me and he plays incredibly hard. He's going to be in this league for a long time and he's going to make a lot of money in this league too. His potential is out of this world. What I am thrilled about is that somebody like Isaac Kuro gets to hear that about himself. He's worked his butt off this season and he's taken some unnecessary criticism about parts of his game that were not supposed to be polished yet. He's a rookie in this league and he's playing like a second or third year guy at least. Congrats to you, Isaac. Continue to play the way that you are. We're excited. Colin and I cannot wait to see what kind of player you're going to become moving forward. There is a chance that the Cavs could get healthy and go on a run at the end of the season. Do you want them to end up in the playoffs this year, or do you want to see them pick high in the 2021 draft? What's the right move for this team heading into next season? What I think is right for this team is to win games. When you have a team pushing a guy like Colin Sexton, making Colin Sexton kind of your face, you have to understand that this is a team that's going to put maximum effort into every game. And if that means that you end up making the playoffs, having the lottery odds kind of bite you in the butt, and so you don't get as high a caliber player in this draft, I'm all for that because... I think this might be a larger topic that Adam and I will get into in future podcasts. For the health of this organization, they need to win as many games as possible to see who they are and what they can be. And if they get into the playoffs, 
every Cavs fan will be ecstatic. None of them should be sitting there saying, well, we're going to lose out on this guy. We're going to lose out on that guy. None of you should be. Because the last time we were in the playoffs, we had LeBron gosh dang James. And this will be the first time we would have made it that far without arguably a top three player ever to dribble a basketball. Let's see what happens. And if we get there, enjoy the ride. Kevin Love shouted out the trailer for LeBron James's Space Jam, A New Legacy. Did you catch the trailer? And are you going to watch the movie when it comes out? I did see the trailer. I uh, took a few days to, to catch it. I saw that they released it, but I hadn't caught it uh, until a few days after that. I guess I'm not all that excited about it because it's not really in my wheelhouse anymore. I did see the original Space Jam when I was a child. I went and saw it with my dad. It was an interesting ride, and the animation was pretty good for the time. They were able to put live action mixed with the cartoons, and that was neat. This obviously looks like it's uh, turned up to 11, and everything is going to be over the top. I'm not certain that I'm going to catch it now. Maybe when it's on TV or on one of the many streaming services that they try to get me to pay for, I might, I might catch it there. <sighs> That's it for this week. Thank you for joining us, as always. We'll be back next week for Episode 9. It was fun to highlight some of the Cavs play. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and other places like Spotify. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!